0: This morning, we're going to do one more topical message, I believe, before we get back to our study in Genesis, where Jacob goes back to meet his brother Esau, and we'll see what happens there. I remember last time that uh, Esau, last time we saw him, Esau was out to murder Jacob. So we'll find out more about that uh, prayerfully this coming Sunday. But this morning and this week, as I was considering and praying about what to teach on this week, um, you know, a conversation came up with a friend of mine about the church, and not this church, but the church in general, and just some things that we've experienced and gone through, some things that really kind of break our hearts, um, just for the state of the church. And uh, I was reminded of this message, and I couldn't escape it when I was praying and considering about what to teach. So, this is something that I, I shared at a, a Bible study back in New York uh, when we still lived there, and. The title of the message is "Be the Church." Be the Church. Now, I might stray a little bit from my notes to try and speak to some of the things on my heart about it. Um, I hope that it uh, will edify you and encourage you and strengthen you in order to be the Church in these last days. Uh, but in, in order to be the Church, we have to know what does it mean to be the Church. What does it mean? You know, there are many answers that are given today. Different people believe different things about the church. People that believe totally different things than the Bible, things that the Bible says clearly aren't good or aren't true or are sinful, claim to be the church. Some say different things and they practice it the same way. Some say different things and they practice it differently. However, some say the same thing and they practice the same thing, but they look a little different. Because there's many answers. You know, uh, there's seven lampstands in the book of Revelation. Uh, the, se- or the, the seven church ages. There's Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And that's a whole study in and of itself. But these were seven churches that actually existed at the time uh, of, after Jesus uh, with his disciples and apostles. But there are also seven church ages that go from the day of Pentecost to the rapture, and that's what the church is. The church was God's people together after the cross. It was after the, It was after the cross, when he rose again, and they began to gather, and the Pentecost happened, the Holy Spirit came, people began to have church. We went from the age of Israel, and the age of the law, to the age of grace, and the age of the church. And throughout history, there have been different church ages, just like those seven churches were Throughout history, there have been seven different time periods where the church behaved like these churches that existed then. These churches overlapped. So there's some that exist today. There's several that exist at the same time. There's some that don't exist anymore. But I think, as with all, all types of prophecy, there's a specific to the actual seven churches of that age. It's also to the seven time periods. But I think we can also apply it to, well, what type of church do we belong to today? What is the church like that we're in Right now, is it a church that's lukewarm? A church that Jesus said, "I wish you were hot or cold, but I'm going to spit you out of my mouth because you don't do what you're supposed to do. You don't believe the things that that you say you do." Are we a church that's steadfast in our faith, like Philadelphia, that holds on to God's word despite being weak and enduring? Are we a church that faces persecution? Are we a church that uh, doesn't rely on Jesus anymore, but relies on our works, and we're really dead? But what do we think our church is? The churches we've grown up in, the churches we're a part of, the churches in our community. I think we probably all claim to be one of the ones, like Philadelphia, that really had a good condemnation, uh, not condemnation, commendation. But are we really? Are we really a church that's alive, that's full of Jesus, and that really meets to meet Jesus? Or do we just show up to do the same thing every Sunday? Or do we show up really and truly to meet with Jesus? I want to read a little bit of Acts before we get started, or as we get started into the meat of the message. Acts 2, verse 40. This is Peter's message, and he says, In many uh, other words, he testified in his order to them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who were gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. So, one thing about being in the church is being saved from a perverse generation. Being one of the world, coming to Jesus, and coming out of the world. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, breaking bread of prayers, and, and being baptized and identifying with Jesus, but then continuing with other believers. And it says, then fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. You know, mommy has that verse in a painting she made in the kitchen, right? Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So the churches, is those who are saved. Those who are in the wicked world, who are wicked themselves, they they come to meet Jesus. They realize they need him to forgive them and change them. They get baptized to follow the Lord. And then they meet together and continue with him. And that's the church. Those are being saved. That's right. But what does it mean to be a believer? You know, Romans 10, like we just talked about, uh, it says the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, "Whoever believes on Him will be not be put to shame." For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is over all, is rich to all who call upon Him. For calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And again, that is it to be saved. Well, that all we have to do to become a Christian is to believe on the name of the Lord. You know, King David said. In Psalm 116, 1 and 2, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications because he has inclined his ear to hear me. Therefore, I will call upon him as long as I live. You know, the Bible says in heaven, there's people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. That throughout all history, if you just came to know and put your faith in Jesus, that you'd come to be saved. Now, what about before Jesus came? Well, God put the Jewish people on earth to be a witness to the Messiah that people could come into the family of God by coming into the Jewish family. They didn't have to be Jewish by birth, but you could observe and you could follow and you could look to the Messiah and you see that many Gentiles, even in Jesus' day, were putting their faith in the Jewish God because he's the living God. That's it. Uh, uh, He says that as a believer, there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. There's no distinction, whether you're Irish or Italian, American, German, African, Canadian, White, black, brown, yellow, red, tall, short, fat, skinny, smart, not so smart, handicapped, beautiful. All the things, none of those things matter. If you become a Christian, you're in the family of God. And that means that we can be friends and we can be family even with people who look nothing like us, who sound nothing like us, who have grown up in a place that's not anywhere like the place we've grown up in. Why? Because our, our commonality is not those outward things that pass away, but our commonality is on the internal things. I think that that's one of the things about being a church, a healthy church, is a church that has people from different walks of life, that has people who look different from each other, who are young and who are old, and yet we all act as family. Now, I get it if you live in an area that's predominantly one nationality, or color, or anything like that, where your church is probably going to be mostly white, or brown, or black, or yellow, or whatever. But man, isn't it great when a church can be all those types of people in the world? Because in the world, different types of people tend not to get along. They even tend to hate each other just because they look different, or if we're from someone else. But that's not to be the way the church is. The church is to be unified in Jesus, and know that whether you're man or woman, boy or girl, old or young, that we're all one in Jesus. And that not one of us is better than the other. Because there are many people in the world who claim to be of a church, but use that to hate other people. Now we're to hate sin and not hate the sinner. But man, the church is to be a place of love and leading us to the Lord. And, and now, if someone looks different, it's not sin. If someone is made differently than you, it doesn't mean that... Um, that God didn't make them just as he made you and I. But when we come to Jesus no matter what we look like there are really four types of soil in our heart. And I get into this being a believer for being the church because the two are really related. And Jesus talks about those four types of soil in Matthew 13:3 through 11. He says he spoke many things to them in parables saying behold a sower went out to sow, you know, a farmer he's got seed and he's going to go sow that seed. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell in stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded crops, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak in parables? And he answered and said to them, Because it has not been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. You know, he talks about four types of soil. In reality, apparently there is different types of soil. Sandy soil, clay soil, silt soil, and loam soils. Some are good for planting, some are not. Some are found by a riverside. Some are found in dry areas, and some are found in good areas. But the point is, is that there are four types of spiritual soil. And that spiritual soil is you're in my heart. Now, our hearts can be changed. Our heart can be bad, and God replaces it with a good one. But there's four distinct experiences that we see that when the Word of God goes out, when the Word goes out and people hear it, there's four things that can happen. One, it falls by the wayside. So it doesn't quite get in. It just kind of hits them, and it falls away. Their their ground is like the pavement. It's like the road. It's like the curb of the street. The Word goes out, and some falls On this soil, like we live on a dirt road, and it's packed down, nothing's going to grow on the dirt road because the road's packed down. In fact, the birds will come, animals will come and eat it. And that's what God says, that there's people who are like they're by the wayside. They're not interested in the Word of God. They're hardened by the world, and they're out there. And when the Word of God comes out and gets close to their life and gets on their life, it doesn't sink in. But instead, sinful things, even the birds even speak of demonic things, can come and take them away and take that word of God away, that they would not listen to it and would hear it. And there's stony ground. So the earth is probably good, the dirt is probably good, but there's a bunch of rocks in it. You know, you you drive up uh, 93 and you'll see that they're selling filtered topsoil. So they dug up a bunch of dirt and they filtered out all the rocks. So now you've got good soil and they sell it, so you can put it in and grow your grass or plants with it. But the problem with stony soil, if you haven't filtered out the rocks yet, is that it's not very deep. You know, when I've been digging up all these weeds these past couple weeks, you know, you dig and all of a sudden clunk, the weeder hits something and there's a rock and there's not much root and those weeds tend to be really easy to pull out because the, the, the roots didn't go very deep. But that's what Jesus said. Some people are like that stony ground. The word of God goes out in their life. It gets into their heart. And it begins to grow and springs up right away real quickly, like a weed might spring up real quickly. You know, I'm amazed at how quickly those dandelions come back. But there's something hard in their heart. There's some part of their heart that they refuse to let God soften, that maybe they've been hurt by something. Maybe they're angry at God about something. Uh, Maybe they just like their sin and they don't want to stop their sin. And so part of their heart is ready for the Word, but then when the seed gets down and the roots get down to that hard part, it doesn't get deep. And so when the hard times in life, when the sun comes up in their life, it gets hot, it gets hard, people make fun of them, hard things happen, bad things begin to happen to them. Well, they didn't have much root because of the hard things in life. And so it says that their faith gets scorched and died, and dies. There's others that have thorns in them. Again, the soil may be good, but there's something else in it that shouldn't be there. And those are the cares of this world. Well, I don't have any friends, or I want friends, and my friends aren't going to like me if I'm a Christian. My friends stopped liking me after I became a Christian. I'm surprised they liked me before I was a Christian. I was worse then. I was more of a jerk then. Or, oh, well, I, I, I can't give up my job. I can't do this. I can't do that. I, I can't go to church on Sunday. i got to go do this. And I get it, you know, if you have to work time to time, but still, go to church on a Wednesday night then. But these cares of the world, these thorns choke it out. And finally said, there's good ground. And this good ground is actually one that yields a crop. So that seed goes out, it grows up into a plant, and it bears fruit. And that fruit has more seeds that others might grow. And sometimes a hundred is sixty or thirty fold. That one little seed made a whole lot of corn. Wow. And that's the kind of soil that God wants us to be. One that, yeah, there might be rocks in our lives. There might be thorns in our lives. There might be hard parts in our lives. But when we find them, when God reveals them to us, we ask God to filter out our soil. We ask God to come pull the weeds up out of our life. We ask God to get the thorns out of our life. None of us is good soil on our own. But man, will we let the gardener, Will we let the good shepherd come and clean out our hearts that we might bear him fruit. Because why would we want to go back to the way of the world? If we were saved out of a a wicked generation, why would we go back? But man, I think sometimes we think we're good soil, and we're not. And sometimes we get discouraged over the thorns and the hard places in our lives, and the enemy comes in and wants us to get us to think that we're no good. And you know what? We're not good. We're bad. We are thorny. We are stony. We are hard to be around sometimes. But you know what? If we go to God, He'll fix those things. He'll clean that soil up. He'll take care of it and make us good soil. And that's what the church should be. The church... It doesn't need to be perfect. Some of the church thinks that they're all good ground. Some of the church thinks that it's okay to be thorny and they leave the thorns in. Some think it's okay to be stony and not to deal with the stones in other people's lives. But man, we need to be the church that says, God, clean us up, clean us out, make us good soil that, that you'll grow things in us. And that takes time. Things don't grow, good things don't grow overnight. Weeds grow up quickly. But good things take time and effort to grow. But again, I think these things can speak generally to all people. And as a whole, we'd like to fill in the blanks. You know, How many people do we know that, uh, that have heard the gospel, but has had no effect and they scoff it like the wayside? How many people do we know that here they get excited, they get plugged in, they begin to get involved in ministry, their life begins to change, but then when the first real big challenge comes, they turn away and they turn back. Because you know what? The lie that even the church tells is that Christianity is easy. That you'll have your best life now. You'll be physically fit, emotionally well, healthy, wealthy, and wise. But that's not the case. The truth is that Christianity is your best spiritual life now. And that your best physical life now might be the hardest life. It might be the worst life. It might be hard and, and painful experiences now that you might have a wonderful heavenly experience. And you know what? In the midst of all that, the Christian life, you can have joy, peace, and all that even in the middle of having hard times and troubles. And thorns, how many Christians have you know that have received it and responded properly, but eventually get sidetracked by a marriage, a relationship, financial desires? The Bible says that he who seeks after these money and things will pierce himself through. And how many people do you know are continuing to actually bear fruit in their lives, personal fruit, and help others as well? I'd say that percentage is pretty small again, even good soil will have days where it behaves like bad soil. I put out fertilizer on our lawn this spring. You know how many dandelions sprung up? <laughs> the soil is good. Yeah, a thousand at least. Yeah. The grass is good, but weeds will still grow in it. It doesn't mean that the lawn is bad. It just means that the weeds need to be taken care of. Because not one of us is perfect. And in fact, if we were, why would there be need for growth? Why would we need the Lord anyway if we were um, perfect? But God wants us to break up that fallow ground, like in Hosea, He says, "Reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord, and He'll rain righteousness on you." And Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-two, uh, it says, "For I will take from you among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. I'll sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. And I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and all your idols. And I will give you a new heart, and put a new spirit within you. I'll take the heart of stone out of your flesh." and give you a a heart of flesh. So God says, I'll take that stony heart out of you, and I'll give you a a soft heart, a heart that responds to me. But if we're to be the church, we have to be a believer. And if we're a believer, I'm going to read this quote from A.W. Tozer. It says, If your Christian conversion did not reverse the direction of your life, if it did not transform it, when you are not converted at all, you are simply a victim of the accept Jesus' heresy. He's saying, a lot of people claim to be Christians but their life has not changed a bit. And the true evidence of being a Christian is that you've come to face Jesus. You've come to face your own sin. And you said, I got to live differently. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect overnight. It doesn't mean that your life is going to be completely different overnight. I remember when I truly accepted Jesus, when I truly repented the next day, there's a lot of things in my life that had to change right away a lot of things that took time. There's things that are still being worked out, but I knew it was different because the next day I didn't feel empty anymore. I knew God was with me and I was ready to go the other way. And I was motivated to get rid of the stuff that was bad in my life. But has your inner life changed? Is it just the outer? Have you just put on the bumper sticker? Have you just put on the the, the T-shirt? That's not being a Christian. The true Christian life starts with inner change. And that will reflect in your outer behavior. And with that, the church and us personally, how do we base our decisions? Is it on the word of God and prayer? Does God direct our paths? When it comes time to make a big decision in life, or even a small one, are we praying about it? A believer should be praying about every decision. God, is this the house you want me to buy? Is this the job or career you want me to pursue? Is this the person you want to be friends with, or should I marry? And then when he gives us an answer, do we obey it? Or do we think, oh, God doesn't care? Well, God does care. And I think that's part of the problem with the church and believers today is that we go to church on Sunday, we read our Bibles even, we might even pray, but we don't listen. We don't listen. We're lukewarm. We're interested in the Scripture, but we're not interested in how it applies to our life. We want God to be our co-pilot, to go along with us. We don't want to be the one that goes along with God, where He wants to go. Corey Ten Boom, who saved a lot of people during the Holocaust, a lot of Jews, said, is prayer your steering wheel or is it your spare tire? Is prayer how you navigate through life or is it just something you do when you uh, have a problem? But as a church, we need to be turned from sin and turned to God. You know what? If we haven't turned from sin in our own lives... That'll be evident in the church's life. Just like we have an inner life, an inner man, an inner woman, a spiritual life. And that really becomes evident. What we do in secret will be broadcast from the housetops. Our lives, externally, we think we can hide it, but it's evident. If we do um, things in secret that are bad, it'll come out of our life. It'll be evident in our life. You can tell when someone's had a hard life, a life that they've been full of abusive and sinful things. Because they look like it. They'll look older. They'll look beat up. They'll look worn out. That's the same thing with good. You'll have a light. You'll have a glow. But more than that, your life will be different. Maybe someone can't put their finger on it, but it'll be different. That's the same with the church. The church is not going to be sinless if its people aren't sinless. The church is not going to be following God if its people are not following God. The church is not going to love the world if its people don't love the world. And if its people don't love the world, it's because they don't love God. You know, sometimes when we get saved, we just put away the bad things. And we realize that we need to do something different, but all we do is just to have a list of don'ts. We don't have a list of do's. We haven't moved on to the best things in life. And that's something that I think God is, is teaching me. He's been trying to teach me, and maybe I'm trying to get, but in the beginning, and obviously it's good, you put away the bad things, you start to do the good things, but then you don't realize that there's another level. There's the best things in life. That there's good things from God, that we are free in Him. It's not just about rules of not and do. Those are good and those are foundational and those are important. But from there, like uh, John Corson says, if you love God, you'll do what you want. You can do what you want. And I never understood that, but I think I'm starting to get it. I think sometimes in the church, even, we change who we worship, but not how we worship. Perhaps we were above another faith and we came to Jesus. Man, we change who we worship, but not how we worship. Perhaps we had another faith, and we had a different necklace, and we just put a new necklace on the same. And I get that you're you know just starting out. I'm not saying that the music has to change. I think God's done a lot through modern music. You know, singing a hymn isn't more spiritual than singing a rock song if the heart of them is both for the Lord. In fact, that rock song might even be more spiritual than the old hymn if it's sung from a heart that loves Jesus. God doesn't care what we sound like. If we do these things we have not love anyway, as Paul says, we're a clanging cymbal. It's just noise. No matter how beautiful it sounds on earth, it's just noise. And the things on earth that maybe we don't like don't sound beautiful might and. for all intents and purposes, be the more beautiful thing to Jesus in heaven. But if we're not not personally worshiping, whether that's at home and in person or even in in the congregation, if it's not coming from our heart, we're truly not going to corporately worship. And it breaks my heart. And maybe I'm just looking at the outward things, but to be in a church service where people aren't raising their hands, People aren't singing. People aren't maybe having watery eyes or crying even. I'm not saying to be out of order and to be wild and distracting. And I get people are uptight, but man. Or maybe they're just not dancers or musical, but I think when we begin to see how much Jesus has done for us and we begin to realize what heaven is truly like and what the cross truly cost him, and how he really is there for us. I don't know how that we can just sit by and not sing. Not stand up or not bow down. Like the Bible says, raise a joyful noise and raise our hands in prayer and song. And Like David said, I'll be even more undignified than this. That, man, I don't care what people think about me. I'm going to worship. And on the flip side of that, Not that we're going to do those things to get people's attention, either. That doesn't glorify God. But man, if we're a church that's saved, if we've been healed from anything, if God has just forgiven us, and that's all we have, wouldn't we not sing and rejoice? Wouldn't we come and bring Him our sadness and our weeping, that He might give us joy? I question if we believe or not. I question if our hearts are hard or not. And again, I don't know. I can't see anyone's heart. There's times when I've worshipped outwardly, but inwardly I wasn't. So I can't make that call on a personal basis. But man, on a corporate basis, I have to wonder: Are the churches that think they're alive are they really dead? Whether that's whether they sing loud or not, it's not. That's not the indicator. But I think sometimes it might be. I think too, like it says in First Timothy three, five, if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? That there is a distinct relationship between family and church, so much so that how can there be how can a pastor take care of a church if he's not taking care of his family? How can a pastor take care of the church if he's not loving his wife and raising his children? Not that his children will be perfect or his marriage is perfect, or that he's perfect all the time. That he's not the Messiah. But man, if, if he's not loving his family and caring for his family and leading his family, he's not leading the church. Because the church begins at home. His family is a church, it's his church, his first church. Because our relationship is primarily with the Lord and it extends to others, and it must be rooted and grounded in him and branch out to others. Because a tree without branches is a stump, and branches without a tree. It's just firewood. And Jesus said, John 5, 5-8, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. And if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask for what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. we have to have personal worship, prayer, evangelism, study, fellowship. We need to make disciples. We need to seek being discipled. I don't mean that that you need a mentor, as I was joking with a friend this week. You don't need someone who's officially your discipler in your life. A lot of times we rely on titles and programs and plans. and, And I get that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. But sincerely, what we need to seek out is truly those who naturally and spiritually minister to us. Doesn't need to be organized. Although we may seek organization with them, we seek it because we see it naturally occurring in our lives with them. You can't force a relationship. It might work for a little bit, it might be academic, but I know in my own experience that the relationships that most impacted me were the ones that didn't need an official title. And that's the same thing with the church. Jesus said, You don't need to call anyone father if there's only one father. You don't need to call me, pastor. You can if you want. But sincerely, my name is Tim. I'm like you. You're like me. The only difference is is that God has called me to this specific pulpit in life. And God has called you to a specific pulpit in your life. And that's the church. Not any one man benefiting off the other. I saw this report the other day of this so-called preacher with private jets. That's not the church. That's a man... Stealing. From people who are needy. But, God uses it. At the end of the day, I'm not the one to judge him. God's going to be the one to judge him. Maybe God will give me a private jet one day. I don't know. Maybe my ministry requires it. I doubt it. I doubt if any ministry truly requires a million dollar jet. But, what do I know? I just don't see, I don't see it in the Bible. And I think that that's another thing that the church needs to do. Is what do we see in the Bible? How do we see it lived out in the Bible and truly in the Bible? Every page of it, not just the parts we like. Because the church's function is truly just an extension of the believer's personal lives. The church is not an organism separate from the believer. The church cannot function without the life of the believer being right. And a believer is to personally worship, pray, study, evangelize, and disciple. Because when they do that and we come together, we can help each other corporately worship, pray, study, evangelize, and disciple. The church cannot do it on its own because the church is not an organization. The church is not a company. It's not a business. It's the people, it's the group of people that get together. And with that, the church corporately is not to be a shepherd of your life. We have one shepherd, it's Jesus. We perhaps have under-shepherds, pastors, to lead us and guide us, but they don't need to tell you what car to drive, who to marry. Maybe they'll give you advice and say, you know what, you really don't need that Ferrari. <laughs> you got bills to pay, but I'm still going to love you if you buy it. I'm not going to kick you out of church if you do, or you know what, come to me. I don't think you should marry that person. They're not saved. The Bible's clear. It says, don't be unequally yoked. The church, I think, needs to say those things. But I think sometimes the church is taking its power too far and tries to rule people's lives. God doesn't rule us with an iron fist, and the church shouldn't either. You have to wonder why people are burned. they burn burned from the church because the people were trying to exercise too much power that wasn't theirs. But with that, we still can disciple others. You know what, brother? I think you should think you might want to rethink that, but I'll help you. I'll help you go the way you want to go. And that's what the church should be, us helping each other like a family would help each other. The problem is that we see the church as a business to do things on its own, to do things separate from the life of a believer, to be an entertainment facility, to be a stadium to go to, To be a team to root for, but not to be a part of. It's not a spectator sport. It's like when you go see a hockey game or a football game, and you root for the team and wear the jersey. No, in church, we are all the team. We are all on the field, no matter where you sit, no matter where you stand, no matter what you're doing, whether you're the pastor or whether you're the first-time visitor. If you believe in Jesus, you're an equal part of the church. The pastor's not more important. Than anyone else and I think unfortunately we think that we elevate people in the church and yeah they're worthy of a double honor and they're worthy of you know respect and looking up to if they live a life that is respected and even just the office demands it in some sense you know I'll call people I know on a first-name basis or pastors pastors in front of other people or at least I try to because I respect the office and I respect them and I want them to be respected But people say, oh, my pastor will do it. Or I just come to church and I get ministered to. Okay, well, yeah, good. We're supposed to come to church and get ministered to, but we're also supposed to minister there. Not just the minister. You are the minister. I just come to hear the teaching. I come and I sing songs, but you get back in your car and those songs would never be in church. Those songs might even say the Lord's name, but they're not saying it in praise. Do you worship at home? I come to have an outlet to serve. That's good. The church should be a natural outlet of what we naturally do in the Lord. We can serve each other, serve the group. And in fact, when we come together, we can accomplish a lot of things. That was the problem with the Tower of Babel is that they were coming together to accomplish a lot of things when they came together. But they weren't holy things. They weren't good things. And I think the church, again, is so caught up in, in itself that it can't do anything right. doesn't affect anyone or reach anyone. We should be working together. We should love the other churches. I love the other churches in this valley. I'd love to get together and hang out with some of them, but not all of them want to. What are we afraid of as leaders, as pastors? Why don't we love each other? Why is it when someone goes to another church and that church doesn't do everything exactly the same but they still believe the same things that we can't talk to them anymore or we can't go visit their service or we can't serve with them because they worship a little different? I get it if it's a cult. I get it if it's outright sinful. But just because the flavor is different doesn't mean that it's wrong. Just because the flavor is different doesn't mean that it's not the church. doesn't mean that your church is better than theirs. Seven lampstands and they were all the church. So we're here to co labor in the gospel together in the in the body that we're in, but in the church at, at large. Church doesn't stop at the four walls or even the, the ends of your denomination. Church is all those across the world who claim to be who claim the name of Jesus. And in order to get a hundred times, sixty times, thirty times the fruit of that good soil, you're gonna need more laborers. And unfortunately, the church, too, follows a very similar principle in the world. And I have to wonder if it's because the church follows the business practices of the world where we have 80-20, where 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. And I've seen that. I've been a part of that. But I've also seen where it's more than that, where more people are serving, when everyone's serving. There's always something you can do. You don't need to look for something to do. You just do it. You're the church. But there's not a lot like-minded. Like in Philippians 2, Paul talks about Timothy being like-minded, who will sincerely care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. And these problems are not new problems. They've been around since the beginning because the church ends up becoming about man, a woman, a specific ministry, a place to go to, instead of what it's supposed to be about, worshiping Jesus, glorifying Him and lifting Him up. Philippians 1.15 says, Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. Paul knew that it was just about Jesus, but he also knew that there are people out there who preach the gospel for their own gain, for their own private jet, for their own spiritual glory, or even out of works to try and get themselves into heaven. doesn't work, though. But Paul was glad the gospel went out, and I'm glad that the gospel goes out. God uses it. God uses the strangest of creatures to get people to know Him, but I think if they're truly seeking Him, they'll see that, man, this is not where I should be. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. He's the only way to the Father, not through the church. The church should be a vessel to point to Jesus, but the church isn't the method of salvation, like some cults believe. Some major world religions have believed throughout history that if you left the Catholic Church, you wouldn't be saved. Well, you know what? The Catholic Church doesn't hold the keys to heaven. The Pope is just another guy. And man, they I think the problem is they don't go to the Scripture. They trust Scripture and they trust what they've been doing. And man, I don't trust anything that I've been doing. Even when I thought i have based it off Scripture, I just want to know what the Scripture says. I want to hold it up. I want to look to it for every answer in my life. and in the churches. The church doesn't believe the Bible. What's the point? Why are we going? What are we doing there? If it doesn't live out the Bible, what are we doing there? If it's doing things that are downright sinful, what are we doing there? If we go there and we don't get fed the word of God. I know people who go to church and they don't get anything from the Sunday message. That's what you're there for. That's the job of the pastor. And even if the pastor is good and right, God is gonna, if God is bringing you somewhere else, he's going to bring you somewhere where you're going to get fed. doesn't necessarily mean that church is bad. It just means it's not where God wants you to be. I visited a bunch of churches. Some I got fed in and some I didn't. But it didn't mean that other people weren't being fed there. It just meant that it wasn't for me. God had something else for me. God has this for me in this season. And with that, the church has to be willing to be broken. Man, we have to be broken. We have to be willing to cry, to be hurt, to be abandoned, to lose a friend. And so often we cut each other off, we hurt each other. For what reason? Is there not forgiveness in the house of God? Is there not reconciliation in the courts of the king? The church needs to forgive more, itself more each other more. Church needs to reconcile with each other more. I've been around a lot of people and it's sad to say I've even done it myself in the past and I regret it. I want to do it again. Someone goes to someone else I don't call them anymore. I don't actively shun them but you just forget about it and move on because you're so focused and selfish on one, one goal. But our goal should be that we all get to heaven. Not that we all go to the same building to meet. Because if we truly believe what we believe, we'll be secure in what we believe and not in where we go. I think a lot of people are secure in where we go. And we think that our church is the right way. We make fun of other churches. But it's not other churches. It might be the hand and you're the foot. The hand makes fun of the foot because it smells different. <laughs> it's doing a different job different role but it's still the body of christ and jesus said in matthew 21 whoever falls in the stone will be broken but on whomever it falls will grind into powder truth is we need to come to church and fall on jesus and be broken it's good to be broken and not every message is going to be happy some messages are going to be heavy because we need to hear it we need to be broken allow yourself to be broken because we cannot be made one with god and one with others is the church if we had not allowed God to break us personally. If I'm not broken and realize how broken I am and how much forgiveness I need, Jesus says, he who's been forgiven much forgives much. And I have to wonder how much has the church been forgiven of if we're not forgiving each other, kind of loving each other. Go forgive that person. Go tell them you forgive them. Or better yet, go ask them for your for their forgiveness. So often we think we do nothing wrong. That person doesn't call me back because they're bad and they're off and they're sinful. No, and they don't call you back because you're a jerk. Seek reconciliation. So what is the church, the ecclesia? It's a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public space and assembly united into one body. But you know what? It's believers being believers together. And if you're not a believer and not seeking fellowship, I have to wonder, have you strayed from the faith? Hebrews 10 uh, says, Let us consider one another in love to stir up good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. A lot of people use an excuse to not go to church. I don't care if you've been—I care if you've been burned, but I don't care. That's not a reason not to go to church. Find another church. Seek the Lord. If you're truly seeking the Lord... He'll deal with those hurts and He'll get you plugged in to a good place. Church tends to change as it grows, but you know what? A small church is not better than a big church and a big church is not better than a small church. But what is better, a big church that loves Jesus is better than a small church that doesn't. A small church that loves Jesus is better than a big church that doesn't. Because the one that loves Jesus is truly the church. But Jesus said that this would happen, that the church would grow up into this big tree. It's not supposed to With all these branches, why do we have different branches? Why different denominations? I'm a Paul, I'm an Apollos. No, we should be of Jesus. But many evil things begin to nest in the branches. The birds, like the same birds that plucked away the seed. We just need to remember that we're grafted in. We're part of God's branch. We're grafted into the branch of Israel. Not because we earned it, but because God called us. Again, worship is not just listening to a song or singing, it's our entire lives from the inside out. Worshiping God and the decisions we make, and the prayers we pray, and the forgiveness we give, and the service we do. Because it's not about our experience, it's not about was it fun, was it exciting, was there a smoke machine, was the music good? It's about the one we see through it. Even if we don't feel like worshiping God, He deserves a song. Even if we don't get the experience, He deserves our praise and our focus and our love. Because He saved us. Again, that's the point of the church. We were saved out of the world because He was lifted up on the cross. When we go to church, we should be meeting with Jesus. Yes, we meet with others. We have fun. We fellowship. We go out to eat. We do things together. We, We do family things together, but we also do service together. We also work for the gospel together. But that's not the primary goal. It's not just a club or a family to go hang out. The church has become a club in so many ways. We should go to church to meet with Jesus. And if we haven't met with Jesus at church, try again next week. And if you keep trying and you keep coming up dry, well, are you meeting with him in your home life? If you're meeting with him in your personal life and then you get to church and you can't meet with him there, well, what's wrong? Is there a a friendship that needs to be healed? Is there something you need to do? Or perhaps it's not not a church to be a part of. Because our goal is to meet with Jesus. When we close our eyes in worship, we can forget about everyone else and look to Him. When we sit in the message, we can forget about everyone else in a sense. And not try and point it to them, but let the Word speak to us. And we say we want revival to see God work. Second Chronicles, the church knows this, 7.14 says, and My people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, and I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. You know what? There's a lot of revival. There's a lot of churches that are doing real good, and I'm happy to hear that. I'm happy to hear reports about back in New York about things that are going good. And churches that I only went to once or twice hear about how many people are getting saved and how they're growing and I pray that, that it's good and healthy. I don't have to have my hand in it or have any credit in it. Who cares? God's doing work. We need to seek his face for all things personally and corporately. The world needs Jesus. Unfortunately, the world except the church is a joke because perhaps the church has become a joke. We've taken God's name in vain in a sense. But man, I know a lot of churches that are small and are working hard and are faithful and may they continue to be that way. I pray that the church will be even more effective than it already is. But we have to be that church. We have to be the ones who are willing to go we can't expect someone else to do it. We have to be the ones who are willing to say it. We can't wait for our pastor to do it. We have to be the on ones that are willing to do. We can't wait for someone else to do it. We can't put on the onus on someone else. We need to be willing to be embarrassed, willing to be vulnerable, willing to go out on a limb, so to speak, willing to be poor in spirit and rich in love. Because in that, we find Jesus. In that, we find a fellowship with him that we never had elsewhere. In that experience of loss and hurt, we find hope and joy and strength. This isn't the point of it all knowing him. This isn't the point of all showing him. So together as the church, Lord, help us be the church. Help us be your church, your body, that you would fill us and dwell us. And God bless the churches in this area. Their pastors, their ministers, the people who come, get the people plugged in and fed and served and loved, and I don't need anyone to come here, Lord. Other than God, for You to to bring them here, for You to speak to them. If they need a place to go, bring them here, but just as much, bring them somewhere else. Bring someone that's healthy and good and that can minister to them Your Word and your love and forgiveness and disciple them, that they might grow up and in turn bear 160 and 30 fold. God, may we all bear fruit worthy of your kingdom. And Come soon, we pray. Heal your church. Let your church be as one in holy ways. We love you, God. Bless all those who hear this. In Jesus' name.